Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Joining me today, Bob Ferrante, Chris Nee. Uh, apologize if there's any noise. We've had uh, some workers around us doing uh, some weed whacking and whatnot. And also, uh, I didn't bring my good microphone. Bob wasn't able to get his in time. So, you know, lesson in life, you get what you pay for. Uh, this is a free podcast. So, anyways, let's talk about FSU's win over Duke. Seminoles win 17-10 to this weekend. Wasn't pretty, but... They won. Uh, when FSU got its first win of the season a couple weeks ago against Wake Forest, uh, I'm not trying to take a shot at Florida State there, uh, I asked both of you guys what your thoughts were on the team, you know, your confidence in the team moving forward after the win. Were you more or less confident? Bob, I think you said you were a little bit more confident. Chris, a pretty strong, no, less confident. And I think I was in that camp, too, to an extent that I wasn't really confident with what we saw. So 17-10 uh, win for Florida State more or less confident with what you saw and what this team can be and do going forward? I'm maintaining neutral confidence. I'm in the same boat as I was at the end of the weight game. Doesn't mean it's gotten worse. Mm -hmm. I'm just where I was after the weight game. Um, a lot of positives, but there's still negatives they certainly have to work out. Bob? Kind of similar. I'd say I'm slightly more confident just because you can see an identity on offense with the ground attack. Mm -hmm. And I like seeing the rolling pocket with James Blackman. Mm -hmm. It looks like that masks a, a real deficiency of the offensive line with the injuries. So I see, I see the coaching staff kind of neutralizing the negatives in a sense. I, I'm in the same boat as you, Bob. I, I saw at least for one drive, and we're about to get into that uh, with the offense. But we saw Jimbo Fisher show a grasp of or have a grasp of what this offense can be, what it needs to be successful. This is the first time that that I left a game since James Black has been the quarterback with thinking like, okay. This guy has an idea of what his quarterback is, and there's upside to what this team can be. So let's start with, with the offense. You know, Florida State uh, has a beautiful first drive to begin the game, uh, goes down, was it 12 plays, 83 yards? Yep, and six just, and a half minutes. And it's just a methodical, nice, efficient drive. Uh, they only had one time, the third and one, Jacques Patrick gets hit in the backfield, pushes through and gets a couple yards, a great run by him. And after that, I mean, they just rolled and they clicked, and it just looked different. Uh, what did you guys think worked well about the first drive? Uh, why was that so successful, I guess, and why haven't we seen that up to this point in the season? Well, I think the running backs kind of set a tone. I thought Patrick ran really well on that drive. I thought, in general, Patrick had a really good Saturday. I thought the way he finished runs was effective. It's a Patrick you want to see, a guy who's being affirmative when he's mm -hmm. running into defenders. Um, Passing-wise, Blackman was in control. We saw a little roll in the pocket, a little bit get him comfortable. Not simply easy throws, but throws that were to easy targets. You know, mm -hmm. he was kind of set up to have success. I, it just looked good, and truthfully, it carried over into the second drive until it all went to hell at the end with a penalty, you know, the beginning of the second quarter with the um, – oh, I'm sorry, there was a sack, then a penalty, backed him yeah, up, turns into an interception. Mm -hmm. But for about the first 19 or so offensive plays of this game, FSU's offense looked like a real football team, as Jimbo Fisher said in the postgame. <laughs> I mean, they, they truly looked efficient, like they knew what they were doing, like they had a purpose, like guys understood their roles, mm -hmm. and it was clicking. They all looked good. It wasn't like it was one guy. It wasn't solely Akers or Patrick or Blackman or a certain receiver. Yeah. It was a collective. Some of all good. parts. And good. The, the issues with the O-line were kind of drowned out by moving the pocket some, allowing them to be straight-ahead blockers in the run game. They did things that were smart to the deficiencies that they have as an offense. Brilliant. It was well-scripted. I mean, of, of course it was well-scripted in advance, but it was executed really, really mm -hmm. well. And I think James... You know, what, what he did well overall in the game was he distributed the ball to nine different yeah. guys, receivers, tight ends, running backs. So you can see he's using every playmaker imaginable mm -hmm. to try and move this offense. He's making mistakes, and 
it's just weird seeing him make two really stupid mistakes when you can set up field goals. But there were a lot of positives, I think, offensively. Mm-hmm. Even though they only scored 17 points, he felt like they could have put up, you know, 24, 27. Easily. Pretty easily. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, the SB Nation, you know, stat profile has their the FSU's win expectancy in that game was at 99%. So, so just based on how they move the ball, all the just the numbers, if you just take out the scoring and you just look at how they move the ball, how the defense performed, like they were supposed to win that game handily, um, and they only win by by seven, which is an issue. But but yeah, I, I'm with you guys. Like the offense, just it, the optics of it, it was different. Uh, like Chris said, you had the rolling of the pocket, you're moving James Black now. I think you were hiding and masking deficiencies, as well as we've seen this season. You know, a few weeks ago against NC State, they're doing these bubble screens and stuff to ma- to try to mask similar deficiencies, but that just took away what your quarterback did well, which is be aggressive. Bob, you mentioned you know a couple bad passes by Blackman. Uh, there was a first interception. It looked like you know James was throwing it out. Nooney runs in. Nooney fell anyways. It wouldn't have. It wasn't going to be a good play anyways. Um, and then the other one, it looked like I think Jimbo explained that that it was James was trying to throw the ball away. Yeah, that's what he uh, said. In and, and didn't get enough on it. Regardless, like the odds of having two interceptions when you only throw three incompletions is is pretty incalculable. Like that, you know, comparatively, the week before Florida State has one interception and deflected the ball twelve times. Yeah, and both of the interceptions, like both of the interceptions come within the Duke forty. Yeah, one's at the thirty-one, one's at the thirty-six. So both of those, you can presume, are probably going to end up with at least three points each. That's six yep. points. Let's say they average five points for those two. That's mm-hmm. ten points. That's ten points off the board. I mean, when you look at the stats, 425 yards, 23, I believe, first downs for FSU, relatively efficient play-to-play-to-play. To play to play. Mm-hmm. The fact they only have 17 points is sort of mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, if you erase how drives ended, the point total, and you told somebody to look at what they did, I think they would come away thinking at least 30 points. Yeah, you're right. But like, this this is a consistent theme, though. Yeah, this, no this, doubt. It's gotten better moving the ball. They're in the middle of the pack in the ACC in conference play against ACC teams in yards per play. Like, they're starting to figure it out a little bit on offense. We've seen some gradual growth in that in that area. The running game's definitely getting going. Um, but I have some numbers in front of me here. Yards per point. Uh, they have 19 yards per every point they score. That's 121st nationally, second to last among Power 5 teams. Uh, points per trip inside the 40. This is from SB Nation. Uh, 3.42 points per trip inside their 40. That is chicken scratch, 124th nationally. So that's showing that there are signs that they're moving the ball, um, but not scoring. Yeah. And and that's something that struggled. they struggled with, at least for the first half last year. I have to go back and look at the numbers. But this isn't a completely new, you know, this, is, this isn't a new trend. This is something that, that's been kind of an issue. The thing that I see, and I asked Jimbo about this post game, was whether those guys press when things go wrong. He said no. He said they, <laughs> he they, said they don't press about six times yeah. in response to you. <laughs> which, is, which is like me. It's like when I tell myself I look good in the mirror like ten times before I go go out and then I put on my big frumpy shirt to hide becoming 30. Uh, and Tate touched on the subject, and he flat out said as an offense, you know, sometimes when things go bad we let it kind of affect what yeah. happens next. And they have that issue. There's no doubt. They had 10 drives of – one was 56 yards. So I'm going to go with – or four drives of 56 or more yards in that one game. One of those drives, I think they counted the last – I had made this mistake. They counted the last drive. When they got the ball back with 0-0, they counted that as a drive right. somehow. They really, so nine in drives. all reality, they only had nine drives. Yeah. Four 56 or more yards, yeah. 17 points to show for it. Yeah. That, that's, that's mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, you would and think that's at least... Four of those were 10 plays, 10 play drives, is uh, that right? 12, 10, 11, 10. I mean, yeah, you got to get more yeah. than 17 One to 10 points. play drives ended with the interception. That's the second drive of the game when they mm-hmm. were really going well offensively. The 11 play drive for 88 yards, you only get a field goal out of. I mean, that, that's, that had to be, truthfully, if you asked Jimbo which drive infuriated him the most, I think he would probably pick the 11 for 88 for a field goal. 
over to 10 for 56 for interception because they really they had put together this phenomenal drive, and I believe there's a play late in that drive that kind of blows it up and forces them to settle for a field goal over potentially you know punching it in, in the red zone. It's just amazing their inability to score touchdowns. I believe they're the worst team in the country in scoring touchdowns, are they not? They're, they're at least the right, as far as total touchdowns. Oh, well, yeah, they are. They've also played one less game, but I could pull that up. I mean, as far as touchdowns per game, it's going to be uh, towards the bottom, uh, if not at the very bottom. They have what, eight red zone touchdowns on the year. The red zone touchdown percentage is in the hundred and twenties out of yeah, one hundred and thirty teams for sure. Um, there was a long pass play to Nyquan Murray that would have set them up probably inside the fifteen, but it was negated by an illegal man downfield. They, they had. They had some mistakes where Which Jimbo contended in Jeff Cameron interview was an erroneous call. Which watching it in person live, I couldn't figure out the penalty. Like I didn't see specifically where that penalty, the genesis of that. penalty. What was the penalty? Sorry, I was brand. The, the one where uh, I believe eight, eight, eight touchdowns is um, the lowest in the nation, tied with Kent State. But they've it was a completion five, towards the middle of the field. But they called the outside receiver, mm. or they called Izzo as an ineligible, ineligible man. Receiver. Yeah. And that's the one you're talking about, correct? Yeah, because Murray had a long game of about, say, 36, 37 That yards, puts him in, inside the red zone. Sets yeah. him up. It's an easy field goal if, if, even if you don't execute on first and 10 from the 15 or so. The, this, this offense, I think, like we talked about, moves the ball well, but inside the 40, definitely inside the 20. But, def, but more so, you got to get from the 40 to the 20. Mm-hmm. And the point zone. Didn't, didn't get into the point zone. I, I have said frequently I'm okay with Blackman interceptions. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with him being young and taking chances. But on third down, you can't take those kind of chances when you're in field goal range. No. You've got to either throw it away or be smart. I mean, obviously don't take the sack, but, but throw it away is much better than try to find a, a spot where you think you can thread it in. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. I mean, Ricky Aguayo's made now 11 straight field goal attempts. You've actually got a kicker that you trust. All of a sudden, you think, don't yeah. don't take don't take chances. They, they have something going on offense. I think we can agree that there's yeah. there is uh, with that running game. Let's talk about them. I mean, Cam Akers and Jacquez Patrick. Chris, you mentioned Jacquez is starting to run like the back they want him to be. He's not going to be the you know Greg Jones uh, no. highlight. You know, he's an pound people into the he's ground. He's an excellent compliment to Acres. It's perfect, and right I think now. he's completely comfortable in the people role. People want he's to see to Amaru Sewell, and it was good to see him on the first drive. But man, right now that Acres and Patrick, like that's as good of a one-two punch as you're going to find in this conference. Like that's, it's pretty darn good. I'm not one that obsesses with tempos and amount of plays, and I get why people do. But if they want Amir Sewell to have more snaps, FSU has to have more offensive snaps. That's what that yeah. boils down to. And or they need to be when up you ahead. have limited snaps, you can't take them away from Acres and you can't take them away from Patrick yep. right now. I, I agree. And you mentioned tempo. Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, that first drive, there was actually tempo. There was a little bit of a of an urgency to it to the play calling. Certainly a rhythm. Yep, and there was a rhythm, and, and Jimbo talked about that, and then that kind of just back to what we're talking about that I don't know if Jimbo kind of changed that if it's just when the guys started pressing a little bit I'm oh, sorry they weren't pressing when, when there were when there were some issues and and I think what it comes down to is this is Jimbo isn't completely confident yet with what he has on offense because they are a bunch of young guys he doesn't so you can tell he when he does have confidence you saw what it looked like in that first quarter uh, and when he doesn't, you see what it looks like with some of the play calling, delay games. But we saw it again at the start of the third quarter. The first mm-hmm. drive of the third quarter is the 11 play, 88 mm-hmm. yard drive yeah. that ends in a field goal. They were good on that drive. Mm-hmm. They were just chugging along. It looked like the first drive of the game all over again and somewhat the second drive of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they came out of the locker room and they actually looked like a prepared team ready to go do something and put more points on the board. That drive, I looked it up, got blown up by the sack. 
Okay. When Blackman got whacked straight up the middle, I believe the guy rubbed off the ass of the lineman, just split two ass to ass, and then shot him. I think it's actually the one where the helmet hit Blackman in the helmet. This is a family that podcast. That people aren't happy about. Ass is a part of the anatomy. Um, but, I mean, it was another very good drive. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the thing is, I look at the nine drives total. He kind of blew two of them up on purpose at mm-hmm. the end of the game, yeah. just try to kill clock. So, really, there were seven drives where they tried to be good. They were very good on four of those mm-hmm. seven. The issue is they only got 17 points out of those four. Yep. I think what it comes down to is this offense, as it is right now, as it's constructed with the guys they have playing big roles. It's a freshman James Blackman, freshman Cam Akers. Um, the offensive line is trying to figure stuff out after Landon Dickerson injury. So you have a redshirt freshman starting at left tackle. They're just not good enough to overcome mistakes. And I just wonder if there's some pressure that they're feeling amongst themselves is when things aren't in a rhythm, when they have to stop and think about it, or if things go wrong. Uh, just, just that house of cards kind of crumbles a little bit. I think maybe that's where we're at with kind of seeing where where this office is in its development. It's just yeah. not good enough to overcome self-inflicted errors. Yeah, I mean, we know Akers and Patrick are reliable. We know Blackman's capable of doing things, but it's going to have good and bad moments. We know Auden Tate's a grown man. Like, mm-hmm. he's proven that time and time again this year. And we know Izzo, for the most part this year, has been very reliable when called upon, which mm-hmm. has been few and far between, but a little bit more so the last two weeks. The issue is after that, I don't think there's a whole lot of guys you can circle and say I can go to them. Yeah. Receiver's just not deep. You know, you see DJ Matthews play. He has one nice reception. I believe the next snap that went to him, he wasn't ready for it. Hit him in the hip. He wasn't turned head yet. He yeah. didn't know it was coming. He didn't play a whole lot after that. We saw a whole hell of a we lot saw of no Jeremy Tamer- Jackson. No to Mary on Terry, which is kind so, of crazy, but yeah. yeah. And Keith Gavin's not there right now because the foot's still in a boot, not mm-hmm. on crutches and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's just – it is what it is. They don't have a whole lot that they can rely upon. Maven Saunders has taken no step forward. He's been a non-existent he, piece of he, this he offense He certainly so doesn't have the confidence of the coaching staff. Matt's I mean, apparent. It, it, to some degree, if people want to see Razul more, and I'm not against it, I think he's a very talented kid that brings a different he dynamic to the offense. On Maybe roll him out there as type of slot receiver when you're 3-4 yeah. wide to compliment, you know, Murray and Tate. Because after Murray and Tate at receiver, there's not a whole lot going for FSU. Maybe they could put Patrick, Rasul, and then he could take this guy named Cam Makers, put him at quarterback, run a little bit of veer. I believe we saw a little two split back thing going we on, do, on the first in that game, the and first, I, I immediately I thought, thought of my boy Bob I thought because Bob, Bob was excited. Some split back. I, going forward, I'd like to see it more. I, I mean, think you have a big back and pat to run that. Po- they call it pony, right? Is that, is that, uh, uh, they mix it up, but yeah. But yeah, instead of having Vickers, isn't a knock on Jonathan Vickers, put your big back and Jacquez Patrick there along with one of your more yeah. dynamic running backs. It's about backs. value of player. Yeah. Vickers is plenty talented, does his job, does what is asked upon him. He's gotten but better. But Akers yeah. and Patrick, the ability to put points on the board, something that the offense struggles mightily at doing, is far greater when those two are touching the ball. Yeah. And if Vickers is I agree. In the game. And Vickers had a big block on the long 42 yard touchdown run by Akers. Mm-hmm. But in general, you got to have Akers and Patrick in the game, especially when you're limited at receiver. Mm-hmm. So you're you're kind of playing with one hand tied behind your back. I mean, mm-hmm. already you've got to figure out who your best eleven are of what's healthy. Mm-hmm. And I think Patrick and Akers are easily the best call in the back. And it, it yeah. seemed like they were rotating Vickers and Jackson quite a bit. You know, when they went to more than a two wide set, it would be Jackson in, Vickers out. Mm-hmm. I noticed watching that that would be the substitution quite often was mm-hmm. those two would replace each other. So I kind of get what they're doing there, but at the same time. I'm all about you got to just be proficient. you got to put points on the board. Especially and, when you have lim- limited possessions yeah. like you're talking and about And when earlier. you're getting ready to face, you know, uh, Louisville is a world who can score all damn day but are struggling to stop people. Mm-hmm. you got to score. 
Yep. You're going to have to score more than what you're having. There's going to be extra pressure to score. You can't do 17 points. Yeah. You can't be 24 points. You may have to score 30 points. God yeah. forbid that may that may have to happen. Um, real quick before we go to defense, uh, focus a little bit more on James Blackman. Agree, disagree, that was his most complete game as a quarterback from first quarter to fourth quarter, right? Yep, and best body language for four, yep. four quarters too. Yep. Bob, do you, you like what you saw from him? Yeah, really efficient. I, again, I'm, I'm okay with the interceptions. I thought they were bad. Mm-hmm. bad spots to force him, but he's going to learn from that. He's, he's probably not going to make that mistake again. And it was, I think, frustrating to see that happen twice in the same game. Mm-hmm. But overall, again, positives moving forward for him. Yeah, his best passer rating. Um, he was his best start. Uh, everything, I mean, he made some big boy throws in that fourth quarter there to get them the... He's into it, too. Yeah. There was a play where he ran down the field to throw a block. He does that every freaking... It's but That's Jameis. He, he's a way. stick figure yeah. who's willing to do that. That's yeah. a guy who's engaged. He yep. wants them to be successful. See, and there was a point you pointed out from the box where Randy Sanders spoke to him a great deal. I believe it was after the after second the, interception. Either after the first or second interception, I can't recall. It was after and, one of the picks. And you can tell there's clear-cut communication between him, mm-hmm. Jimbo, and Tino. But Randy and Tino have done a great job of kind of being there and letting Jimbo coach the game mm-hmm. when something happens. He's learning. Mm-hmm. He, the frustration that he's showing is getting less and less week to week. He's understanding how to handle the moments, good mm-hmm. and bad. And that's a good thing. I think he's fully engaged. You know, They're going to have to – become a more proficient offense yeah. as we keep saying but you know I, I'm confident in Blackman people were ready to sell him down the river a week ago mm-hmm. that you know he was never going to amount to shit JJ Cosentino was, wor- was warming up I mean yeah. it's nuts to me the, the kid is plenty talented he can do a lot of things does he have some shortcomings yes he's a true freshman who has three months on campus he's going to have shortcomings mm-hmm. and a guy who was kind of considered a project yeah. coming in too like he was a guy that wasn't you know that had more upside than he did to have a to have a body work to really build on he's going to have some really really <laughs> enjoyable games down the stretch and he's probably also going to have a couple completely infuriating yeah. horrendous outings it's just what's going to be two more two more thoughts on blackman and then we'll, then we'll flip the page um you mentioned the way randy sanders chris that that, that randy was was dealing with uh, with James Blackman, I thought Jimbo Fisher was probably it was the most animated <laughs> he was with James. His bar of what he's expecting to see from his rookie quarterback is starting to change. He was kind of pissed on a couple of occasions. Um, and then he blends it how Jimbo does. Dog cusses him, gets mad, gets in his face, and gives him a pat on the head or a pat on the back or butt or whatever, and then he moves on. Didn't uh, Bill say to you, Bob, that he treats everyone like they're a redshirt senior? I was thinking about that, too. He, you know, Luganville's comment is, is pretty telling that – Tell he was watching Jimbo and the interaction with Black on the mm-hmm. sideline. Oh, after going, the Miami game, after yeah. the Miami game, and yeah, it's it's really clear. Jimbo's expectations are sky high, no matter who you are, mm-hmm. because he saw enough in August, and then he thought he could build on it. He could mold Blackman into something that was going to be successful. Now what we're seeing is Blackman's being put in the right situations, the rolling pocket, the running game is starting to come along. But yeah, Jimbo is still going to be all over James. I think after one of those interceptions, it was like. You could see he was saying, what were you thinking, what were you thinking? or what, yeah. what are you doing? Why? It Why? was clear Jimbo is basically saying, you know better than that. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this. You've got to protect the ball. So I, that's that's good, though. But to see James still bounce back and not mm-hmm. have the bad body language, he's, he's still positive moving forward and, and completing passes. And, you know, again, I think, I think what you like to believe will be the – outcome down the road mm-hmm. is that this offense will be able to move the ball and then be more efficient inside the 40 mm-hmm. because these kids are starting to get it yeah. and because the pieces are starting to come together. A lot of that still depends on wide receiver injury and offensive line chemistry. 
but I think we can kind of see that this is going to start to become a more efficient offense. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. This is the, the, you can see things kind of starting to go in that direction. Um, the, the training wheels are all for James Blackman. I think at that point, we, at this point, we've seen the way Jimbo is handling him, both in play calling, how he's handling him when he comes off the field. There's not that coddling that we saw maybe at NC State game, both in play calling. And you know, Jimbo was, was really making sure to build up his guy's confidence, wasn't really dog custom or anything like that. You know, now, he's, now he's there and he's pushing him uh, more. And I think James is a guy who's going to continue to respond well to that based on what we've heard and what we've seen. Uh, Cutcliffe, David Cutcliffe's comments, we saw that after. I thought those were interesting, what he said about Blackman. This is a guy who obviously knows quarterbacks, coached both the Mannings. Um, and, and Held in he, very high regard by Peyton. Yep, by Peyton. Uh, him and Randy Sanders worked with each other, correct? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yep. those guys obviously close. talk. Uh, and, and David Cutcliffe, you know, the Duke's coach, comments after the game was out of respect and not to say that he thought James Blackman – you know, was significantly better right now than DeAndre Francois, but as far as he threw the ball, as far as he, as far as the you know, arm strength and the way the ball comes out of his hand, he said afterwards that it was as good as DeAndre Francois, if not maybe better than than his, and that's you know with two years less experience, clear upside that you can see in this guy. I think other people are starting to kind of get a grasp of of what he can do now. Um, let's go to defense and guys. I honestly, I don't know. Like I, I don't know what to make of this defense. Chris and I were trying to talk about this after the game, like with what to write about the defense, and I don't know. I, I will say this. The one thing, man, they got to stop when they needed to at the end of the game. The defense was much better in the final four drives. Thank it, God, because this building would be on fire right now. If, if they, they would have gone, I mean, there would have been moving vans that people would have been hiring to, to send out to the defensive coordinator's home. Like, I mean, that just people would have been done with it. Um, and it's, it's weird because, you know, Florida State only allows 10 points, um, but they give up five yards per play, which isn't terrible, but Duke's – Offense is averaging like four and a half yards per play. So you allowed Duke to perform higher to what its expectations were. Uh, but you got stops when you needed to. It wasn't pretty down that stretch, but they made plays. Uh, I just uh, – someone help me here. I don't know what to really make Third of, of the defense. Third down defense was, again, very poor in that long. How Duke scores the touchdown, I think it was third and 17, third, third and 17, and, and, they, 17. and they connect on a 57-yard pass. I mean, I mean, you can't you have can't, that. You can't do that. You can't be a safety when you have to be the deep guy to make sure that nothing bad goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And then to see that, I think Westbrook was 10 yards behind. Matt, Matt Thomas said after it was between him and Nate Andrews missed – I have to go back and watch it. It was, but but Matthew Thomas said it was him and Nate Andrews got confused on who they were supposed to get. I just, but that's more than one person. But why the up. hell are two guys that have played ten years combined at FSU? <laughs> on no, seriously. Yeah, that, yeah you're that right. is like the the pinnacle of the, the issue. That, that epitomizes what the where the frustration level is. Yeah, is is that there shouldn't be confusion. It's freaking Duke. They don't run a whole lot. Those guys of have championship rings, and we're here with Jameis Winston. Sean, Sean Wilson is a talented athlete on Duke's offense, and yeah. TJ Roming plays his butt off. I'll give those two guys credit all day. Other than that, that's very much a pedestrian offense. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of guys that can do a whole lot of things. You can play them pretty straight up and have success. Cut. And FSU is lucky as hell they only gave up 10 points to Duke. I mean, Duke was moving the ball. That They were running oh, three options. I believe Duke had more off offensive success per play against FSU than any yeah. other opponent this year. They were moving the ball with, with regularity. They were running that read option. Um, and they were moving the ball until Cutcliffe got cute and yeah. dials up the halfback pass, which, by the way, the wide receiver was open. Uh, if, the half, if, if the running back throws a, a decent ball there, that's that's probably six. Yeah, Emmett intercepts it, but he's underneath the guy he needs to be covering. And he on that intercepts play. it off of. I mean, good a for deflection. him. He, he hustles over to get there, which is again, there's an encouraging sign. Like I don't want us to be like you know the the defense is 
good. This is a good defense. But they're not supposed to be good. They're supposed to be, be elite. great. Yeah. No, I, it it goes back to a issue. comment I've made on a previous pod, and I think we all agree. If you take individual talent of the defense, mm-hmm. the collective should be far better than it's been. Agreed. I, yep. I can't argue I, that. The defense is lucky they only gave up 10 points. Mm-hmm. They're lucky that they didn't give up a touchdown on that final drive where they played way too much bend but don't break. Mm-hmm. Again, a week after they broke. And, you know, you have the opening drive of the second quarter for Duke where they have the third and eight. They get four yards. They go four on fourth and four. They get enough for a first down. It results in a field goal instead of a turnover on downs. If you're a great defense, you stop Duke. Yeah. When you have a third and eight and you stop on third and eight and force a fourth and four, you stop them, and they don't. And there's too many examples where you can go back on film and on third and five, third and seven, they're given six yards or eight yards and giving them way too much cushion. Play aggressive. For the love of God, you're talented. If Duke beats you on a third and seven because you were over-aggressive, I'll be much happier than if you're playing like a soft pillow that allows anything and everything underneath you to be completed for a first down. And that falls squarely on the coach. Their efficiency on third and long has been – Forward this year. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, especially on third and 10. And we saw that again, Bob alluded to that third and 17 play. When it's third and 10 or longer, uh, their passer rating that they're allowing is one of the worst in the country. And that's because they're allowing first downs. Like almost like at a 50 50 rate when it's third and 10. That should be like a 10% chance of picking up a first down, 10 to 20%, not 50%. You shouldn't be a coin flip. That's an issue. With the quick passes, you know, a lot of offenses have been able to neutralize Florida State's pass rush, but these are times on third down where you need to be able to get that pressure. And I think we're seeing it at times where, for example, Christmas is pushing the pocket and he's batting down a couple passes on Saturday. But we're not seeing enough of it from, from Burns and Sweat. And I think they've got to be able to get that kind of pass rush, either get to the quarterback or force a throw just a little bit off target. Mm-hmm. We're, just, we're just not seeing that. So the secondary isn't coming through, but also we're not seeing the pass rush come through. I think yeah. they go hand in hand. Jimbo was talking about the pass rush after, and we saw on that final drive. So first off, we've seen offenses have been super cognizant to get rid of the ball quickly against them because they saw what Florida State did last year. Um, but DeMarcus Walker isn't there, so that's hurting the ability without someone getting that instant pressure in the middle of the defense. I think the edge guys are struggling. Uh, so Cutcliffe said after the game, and they really want to avoid getting into a drop-back type of offense against Florida State. And you saw that they ran a lot of RPO, a lot of quick you know, quick passes uh, with Daniel Jones, who's a nice little quarterback. He's not great, but he, he's, he's good uh, good enough. Um, and they really worked on the quick hits. We saw in that final drive that Josh Sweats gets the pressure. Um, I think Brian Burns got a deflection, or maybe that was the drive before. But we saw when Florida State was able to start kind of pinning the ears back some, that, that helped. Um, but Jimbo said after that, still it wasn't enough pressure given the situation that Duke was in. Uh, I'll throw this number out there. Um, passing down sack rate, Florida State has a sack rate of three point four, or sorry, seven point four percent on passing downs. That's one hundred and thirtieth nationally. Like they're averaging more sacks on regular downs <laughs> or close to it than they are on. Uh, oh no, wait, I'm sorry, one point two percent on sack rate on on passing downs. One point two percent they're going to sack on passing downs, so like one percent of the time. It's not good, right? Yeah, we saw the pressure on the last couple drives. I believe uh, Sweat had a sack there. We had a couple quarterback hurries. Brian Burns, Josh Sweat were involved in the quarterback hurries. Over the last three drives, there was more pressure on the pocket. Some of that is Duke was kind of in the position where they had to push it downfield. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't able to kind of be super quick, so it kind of allowed it. But at some point, FSU is going to have to adjust what they're doing defensively. And get to the quarterback. Because yeah. you have way too talented of defensive ends for them to be essentially completely neutralized in the game plan. Yeah. And they, I think, I mean, we saw against Miami, they tried to put Joshua Kando in the middle on some of their dime stuff. That didn't really work fantastically. Is, I believe the the long pass of 50-whatever yarder mm-hmm. 
Kendo almost has a sack there, correct? Isn't Daniel working well, to his right along him. the end zone? Um, I mean, they, and he they, basically touches his inside hip. I'm trying to remember if that was in the other I believe it's a long pass, but there was certainly a play where Kendo was literally inches, yeah. not to steal Jimboism, but inches. inches from having a sack, and it turned into a completion. I believe it was a long completion for Duke. Mm-hmm. It's just a good example of when you get the opportunity right now, you got when, it. when you're not you get it. getting a whole lot of at-bats, possibilities of coming through what you're on the field to do, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. And what was it on, the, on that final drive, the, uh, the long pass? Was it on third down? It was over the middle, and it was a play that A.J. Westbrook got hurt on. Um, and there was just too much time. And Jimbo said that after the game, like they, they need to get put pressure. Uh, and basically, you have two guys running over the, you know, across the seams, and you have the time to get 10 to 15 yards downfield. With the quarterback not being under duress, he's able to make a really nice throw in between coverage. Uh, it's just it, that hasn't been there. And I think that maybe if if we can find one weakness with a defense that's been about average to good, but but like Chris said, not great. It's that pass rush hasn't been anywhere near what we thought it should be or could be with the edge rushers that they have. And I think it comes back to they're just not getting a ton of push in the middle. And that doesn't help the secondary in turn. And then it, it, correct, it's all part of part of uh, some right there. It's just sort of dysfunctional in a lot of ways on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Like the, I don't know what the path to success for FSU's defense is. Like I don't know what their working theory on mm-hmm. how they're gonna find defensive success is. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, one thing, like we saw against Alabama, they put Derwin James in the box, let him blitz. He had a high success rate. But they're opting to kind of keep him back there because some of the other safeties that I think they were relying on seniors um, haven't really been great. Ramon Lane uh, or against – Or banged up. Or banged up. I mean, it's been, it's been a combination, correct. You see Adrian Westbrook keeps leaving, <laughs> leaving games because of injuries. Trey Marshall uh, has missed a game and a half now. Um and Nate Andrews, I think they kind of are resigned to him being a you know, dime linebacker, which is what he should be. Um, but when he's been back in safety, he's given up big plays. Erman Lane has been out of place far too often, I think, for their liking as well. So guys that they thought they had a ton of depth with have been okay, but not reliable enough to where they feel good about putting Derwin James, who may be their best pass rusher, uh, in the box. So there's a lot of issues uh, on the defense, and I think what we we look at as a whole is it's just it's fine it's just failing to meet preseason expectations and that's not expectations that Bob or Chris or myself put on them although we did have those uh it's what they had for themselves and so far they haven't met it uh, and I'm not sure if we saw signs of them getting a whole lot markedly better on on Saturday yeah and it's a bad week to have one of those problems in the secondary when Lamar Jackson's coming to town <laughs> and I think it's easy to you put it up on the whiteboard to say 63 to 20 repeatedly, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a good coaching tool this week. But figure out schematically how to defend Lamar, and the, the big difference is you do have Derwin. Mm-hmm. But is Derwin better in the backside and deep because you're, you have concerns, or is he better up in the box because you're worried about what Lamar can do as a runner? Mm-hmm. I still say Derwin's at his best in the box or on the edge. Yeah, but I agree. I, I think you've got to figure out a lot of things, and you don't have a lot of time to figure it out against, let's say, the nation's most dangerous player. He may not be the best quarterback out there, mm-hmm. but he's he's dangerous. He's probably the best offensive player in the nation. I mean, he's one of the top 15 rushers in the nation. He's a quarterback, and you know people knock him for his ability to throw it, but he's throwing it at a high rate this year. He can throw it. His passing yeah. yards are there. I mean, he's a little erratic at times. He's going to do things wild, but if you don't play good defense against him, he's going to embarrass you. I mean, we know that firsthand from being in Louisville last year and seeing mm-hmm. 63 points put on the board. But That'll hurt you. Yeah, you know, it, it's now or never for the defense. They're either going to make a statement this week or mm-hmm. a statement's going to be made on them. 
Yep. Because, I mean, you look at what they have the rest of the schedule coming up. Like, you have Boston College, which you feel like you should be able to sell. Although they just scored 45 points on Louisville, so who knows. And it was, seemed like it was a fairly legitimate 45, too. It wasn't like they were scoring off of, you know, uh, block, block punts and stuff like that. Uh, you have Delaware State, which, you know, you feel like you should be able to slow. But outside of that, and then Florida's offense, um, you have Clemson, you have Syracuse, which I think has got things kind of kind of rolling right now. Um Louisville, so you have some good offenses so that have the potential to do some damage against Florida State's defense if it doesn't start kind of figuring out what it is. We're here midway point through the season. This is too late in the year, I think, to be trying to find your identity. I get if it takes a couple games, but with the experience you had coming back, the pieces you had in place to use and utilize, it just it, this isn't this isn't good. It's, it's above average. Maybe the defense is good, but relative to expectations, it's certainly below, and that's kind of where we're at. Uh, real quick, Bob, special team segment. Give, give, you, give you a minute to run that through. You must be pretty happy, huh? I don't need a minute. It was, it was, it was a fine special teams day just because you know, nothing really went wrong and Ricky made his kick. I think, again, if Blackman sets them up, mm-hmm. I think Ricky makes a field goal or so, so you don't have to worry about a fourth quarter where it's a nail-biter and Duke has a Hail Mary. I think you're winning 20-10 to 10 at the minimum. Logan Tyler, though, come on. Give, you, give, 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 give your boy a shout-out. Logan Tyler did his thing, and he had a couple long punts. Uh, you know, I like it. He's he, he basically has said something similar to Ricky. He figured out the mistakes that you make when you're a freshman. You figure out your technique. You trust your technique. You don't worry about what everybody else says. You don't go on social media and, you know, oh, my goodness, what they're saying. Look, your job is very, very simple in, in one sense once you know what technique is mm-hmm. and just trust it. That's just repetition yeah. after that. 61-yard punt was huge. FSU's at their 20. Kicks it, flips the field uh, he completely. He been the most valuable player of that I game. I mean, it was clear what, what Jimbo was going to sit on it and not try to do anything down the stretch. It was mm-hmm. a kill-to-clock situation, and Logan allowed him to be in that position where mm-hmm. it was successful. Yeah. Do we want to talk punt returns, or do we not have enough time for uh, that in this show today? I mean, here's – what the hell? There, yeah, that's, that, that's all that that's all really needs to be said. It's a I mean, lost cause. I've just – inexplicable, man. Inexplicable. Tavares McFadden is not feeling the ball correctly. But it's, it, it's not on McFadden. People are – I understand, people are all I understand over why McFadden. people are banging the drum on McFadden, especially yeah. on punt returns. It's not fun to watch. FSU's been putrid at punt returns for several years now with different guys back there to return punts. So at this point, I'm of the opinion it's not a player. Uh, that's probably a fair opinion to have. And, hey, guys, back off Tavares McFadden a little bit, all right? He's actually been pretty good this season on defense. His body language is not great. It's never going to be great. That's kind of who he is. He's chill. He's lax. He playing fairly well. The only difference from last year to this year with him is the amount of interceptions they're not there for And him. he's not giving up a bunch of touchdowns either, just one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. All right, now there's a siren coming. I think we should leave before there's any more noise. We've had lawn blowers. We've had lawn mowers. We've had weed whackers. We now have sirens. Guys, thanks for joining. For Chris Nee, Bob Ferrandez, this is Brendan Sinone with the Knowles 24-7 podcast. We'll talk to you later.